Welcome to the fourth season of What Makes Us Human, a weekly podcast and essay series from Cornell University's College of Arts and Sciences. This season, we ask our faculty, what does water mean for us humans? I'm William Kennedy, Avalon Foundation professor in the humanities at Cornell University. We may not realize that European Renaissance culture had everything to do with water. Think about Venice, situated in the Adriatic Sea with access to Asia as well as to all of Europe's waterways. That incredibly cosmopolitan city shaped art, music, and literature, and its export throughout Europe by way of its watery roots. Venetian waterways afforded major conduits for trade and commerce, but also for literary and artistic production. 15th and 16th century improvements in shipbuilding and navigation brought great wealth to Venice. But for all its affluence, Venetian culture was not the glittering carnival that we envision today. It was restrained and even puritanical, governed by families of a hereditary nobility who directed their artistic patronage towards expressions of pious sentiment. The rise of an entrepreneurial class of merchant and banking elites in Venice, including German, Dutch, French, and Spanish traders working there, eventually diminished the nobility's influence and replaced its religious culture with a secular and worldly wise one. German merchants, for example, brought to Venice new techniques of oil painting. Think of Titian and Tintoretto, and of polyphonic music. Think of motets and madrigals exported westward through the waterways of Italy and the Mediterranean Sea to France and Spain. In literary influence, by 1500, the Venetian publishing industry had become Europe's largest, owing to its vast outlets for distribution. Its editors circulated Europe's first modern bestsellers, soon translated into languages that excited, among others, Rabelais, Spencer, Shakespeare, and Cervantes. Renaissance Venice by itself produced two first-rate poets whose work proved remarkable on several fronts. First, Without aristocratic patronage, they thrive by attaching themselves to the private salons of wealthy merchants. Second, both got their work published to wide acclaim. Third, somewhat but not entirely unusual, both were young women. One was Gaspara Stampa, the daughter of a merchant jeweler's widow. When she died prematurely in 1554, her sister arranged to publish her manuscripts. Of her 310 poems, 200 concerned the poet's unrequited love for a nobleman, exposing class differences that forbade their marriage. Soon after consummating their affair, the nobleman ghosted her, refusing to acknowledge her existence. But don't just think of Stampa as a romantic figure floating in a gondola with her lover down the Grand Canal. She was also a canny professional, shaping her poems for a diverse readership in and beyond Venice. Her sister was an entrepreneur, bundling Stampa's poems for distribution across the waterways of Italy and northern Europe, where, even in 1912, the German-language poet Rainer Maria Rilke commended her work to modern readers. The other remarkable writer was a satirist named Veronica Franco, a professional courtesan who attracted well-heeled lovers and, in her unashamed poems, kitted the pants off them, so to speak. A prominent patron sponsored her publication in 1575, which enabled a recognition of her that was revived in a 1998 Hollywood film titled Dangerous Beauty. So, 
Renaissance Venice built a complex culture that wouldn't have been possible without its imports and exports over canals, rivers, and seas. It is water, then, that had carried those cultural riches down to us today. Join us for another edition of What Makes Us Human, brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. For more essays and podcasts, visit us online at as.cornell.edu forward slash humanities.